Great show this week. We'll start with Ben Edelman, who's going to give you the reasons why Google's pledge, do no evil, may not be true. We'll hear from Kirk McElhern with some information about his strangely behaving iMac. And then John Martellero of the Mac Observer. All this and more on the Tech Night Out Live. Ben Edelman is an assistant professor at Harvard Business School, so we know he has lots of credentials just being there. And we're going to talk to him about Google. We know that Google is very prominent in the mobile phone industry, that they're buying Motorola Mobility, which may be a blessing or a curse, depending on how that transaction works out. But there was an article in Beta News just this past week that forms the focus of what we're going to talk about today. It's entitled, DOJ Pharmacy Investigation Undermines Google Credibility. Ben, Google has this motto, do no evil. But I'm seeing here that they're not following what they preach. I agree, Gene. You know, the business is large. Some parts of it are a notch more evil than others. And especially when it comes to these pharmacy ads, Google has quite some monsters in its closet. Supposedly, in the United States, you can't buy drugs from other countries, right? That's the basic rule. Okay. So what happened here? Google not only allowed ads to be shown for pharmacies from other countries, but Google did that knowingly. Google knew it was running ads from pharmacies in other countries. And in fact, Google did that intentionally. Google helped the pharmacies break Google's own rules. So there was one part of Google telling the pharmacies to stay out and another part of Google helping the pharmacies find ways to stay in. Now, when did this practice start? It goes all the way back to 2003, so the better part of a decade. Wow. Okay, so basically they're letting them do their advertising. This practice continued for how many years before it was discovered? And why wasn't it discovered the next day? Well, many of us had been writing about this for years. Uh, I had been writing about all kinds of deceptive Google ads, ads for various scams, and we can talk about those too. There were folks who were focused on pharmacy issues who were writing about it. Google was always able to shrug and promise, hey, you know, we do the best we can. It's hard to police the Internet, and that's not really our job. Basically, just leave it alone. Take a laissez-faire attitude. That was what Google always had managed to get away with. They'd leave it alone, and to the extent that their arm was really twisted, uh, in a pinch they'd take action, but they'd try to delay that as much as they could. Now, is this part of the disease of a corporation getting large? You kind of think that a few kids in a college dorm or in a garage or in a kitchen, they come up with a great idea for a company, they get venture capital, they build the business, they build it out, it gets bigger and bigger, and the ideals are lost. Is this a case of lost ideals, or did they ever exist in the first place? 
it does seem that the decisions went all the way up to the co-founders of Google. We see persistent reports and even some documents indicating that Larry and Sergey knew what was going on and did nothing to stop it. One isn't surprised to hear that the advertising sales staff, the guys who make commissions, the more advertising they sell, of course they were going along with it. But even Google's senior most leadership, the co-founders, seem to have been happy about it, too. Is there an actual Google terms of service that says you can't do this kind of thing? Google has terms for advertisers that say you can't do this, but the terms haven't been enforced effectively. In fact, quite the contrary. Google has been assisting advertisers in skirting the enforcement. Okay, so what's the consequence if someone buys medication from an overseas pharmacy? Does that put their health in danger, or is it a matter of politics or what? Well, certainly uh, there are safety issues for the consumers, uh, but it's also absolutely politically controversial, you know, for Google to be able to get away with this would be untenable uh, when other companies are playing by the rules. Are other companies pulling the scam? Certainly there have been unlawful ads on other search engines. There are various banner ads promoting scams, but Google seems to have gone a notch further. One in Google's staff's uh, willingness to assist in, in helping these ads get distribution, uh, in helping these ads skirt the enforcement and so forth, uh, and also just in the breadth and size of the practices. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars here, uh, and it seems quite unlikely that any of the other advertising services on the internet have sold that volume of unlawful ads to anyone. Not Bing, not Yahoo? Right. Uh, they've perhaps done some, but not anywhere close in terms of amount nor duration. They seem to kick folks out a lot more quickly. Okay, so you've been writing about it for a while. I guess people weren't paying attention. Obviously, the Department of Justice finally paid attention. When did that happen? The Department of Justice in 2009 got a tip. It's quite a story, actually. A Mexican drug trafficker who said he was also involved in this business uh, with support from Google in advertising the Canadian pharmaceuticals to American consumers. I'm getting confused here. Let's maybe spell this out in more detail. A Mexican drug smuggler? That is my understanding. That is what has been reported. Uh, And he had some other businesses, too. And that was how the DOJ learned about this mess. Okay, so they start their investigation in 2009, and it took them a couple of years to get it all together. Right. One imagines there was some investigation, almost a sting, where the Department of Justice created a series of fake Canadian pharmacies and checked whether Google was willing to sell advertising to them. And then finally, of course, you would certainly anticipate a large amount of wrangling among the attorneys trying to figure out how much would get paid and the other terms of the resolution of the dispute. Okay, so when Google was understandably confronted with this, did they have a public response? Google's response uh, this summer has been to apologize, to say it was wrong, to say that they shouldn't have done it with the benefit of hindsight. Now they know they shouldn't have done it, and they promise it won't happen again. Okay, so they had to pay a fine. What is this money that they had to give up as a result? It's a significant penalty. It's a forfeiture of $500 million, which the settlement agreement says is... Uh, the party's estimate of how much revenue Google earned and how much revenue the Canadian pharmacies earned. So we're going to add those two together, and Google has to pay all of it. Maybe Google can go and get some of that money back from the pharmacies, or maybe they can't. But either way, in the first instance, Google has to pay it. Do we assume the pharmacies themselves are unscrupulous because they are seeking business in the United States knowing it's not legal? 
you know, that's what they want to do. One isn't surprised to hear that that's the strategy they've come up with. That's what you'd do if you were them, too. On the other hand, as you say, it isn't legal. Uh, I don't know whether they've violated Canadian laws, uh, but certainly Google has violated American laws in being willing to sell those ads to those pharmacies. So this is a money payout. This is like a civil offense, then. It's not quite as simple as that. It's a notice of non-prosecution, a non-prosecution agreement. The document indicates that criminal charges could have been brought, but they aren't being brought. Instead, Google is paying civilly this large forfeiture of $500 million. That's actually very important to Google. There would be significant consequences for Google's ability to sell products and services to the United States government if this were a criminal settlement. So basically here, we have a situation here where the U.S. government could use all the money they can get and getting a half billion dollars from Google is icing on the cake. That's certainly part of it. And make no mistake about it. It's disgorgement, full disgorgement as the result of unlawful activity. It's not a shakedown of Google. This is uh, tough justice requiring that Google give back all the money that it and its business partners derived from the unlawful activity. Now, it's not as if Google can't afford half a billion dollars. That's right. Their revenue is $25 billion a year, give or take, and so they have plenty of money. This is just a drop in the bucket, particularly when you consider that it covers a period that's five-plus years of wrongful activity. Now, they stopped in 2009 because they knew they were being investigated, or what? When they were informed of the investigation, they stopped some practices, though make no mistake about it, uh, some of the practices continue even to this day. I want to ask you about that in our next segment. Ben Edelman, we're talking about Google. Do no evil, but it looks like they're not paying attention to what that motto means. I want to let you know, if you have a comment or a question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please write us, news at technightowl.com. Once again, that's news at technightowl.com. We do want to hear from you. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Here are two things IT professionals and their clients have in common. They want the job done right. They want it done fast. That's why I highly recommend go to Assist Express by Citrix to anyone in IT. It puts clients at ease with its simple and secure remote support and puts you in a position to do what you do best, access, diagnose, and resolve. Try Go to Assist Express free for 30 days. Visit gotoassist.com slash podcast to see how you can deliver live tech support to anyone. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I had already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Hi, Jason Lewis here. Anybody who's been listening to my program knows how shaky the U.S. economy is right now. Will we have a V-shaped recovery or will it be a W-shaped one where the nation slips back into recession? Of course, if you think that Washington can spend or inflate its way out of a downturn, you've got nothing to worry about. 
But as you know, I have my doubts. So let me tell you about gold. Now, as my friend Ted Anderson from Midas Resources likes to say, gold, like all commodity markets, fluctuates in price, and you could lose money. But it has never been worth zero. Give it some thought, and if you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to actually have it in your possession, call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237. The U.S. dollar was once backed by gold, but has since lost 90% of its value. And if things don't change, I'm afraid the trend will continue. Call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237 for gold and tell them Jason Lewis sent you. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver, that's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver, utopiasilver.com, or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338, utopiasilver.com, taking back America's health care one American at a time. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com We are back with Ben Edelman. He's an assistant professor at Harvard Business School, so he knows his business, as they say. We're talking about Google, about their settlement with the Department of Justice, paying $500 million because they took ads from Canadian pharmaceutical companies, drugstores, that kind of thing, to buy drugs from Canada in the U.S., which is against the law. Now, in theory, if the Department of Justice decided to arrest someone, would they arrest the founders of Google, the salespeople who? They could 
arrest anyone who had material knowledge, who materially assisted in the practices. So the individual account managers who were advising, the product managers who alerted their respective supervisors to the problem and failed to take action more than that. You know, the criminal prosecution of a company can be a real messy thing. In practice, paying some money like this is an awful lot simpler, and you can see why the parties would want to proceed that way. Also, it takes a lot longer in terms of complications, and it wouldn't just be the founders of Google, it would be the former CEO, Eric Schmidt. Certainly, he uh, had to be involved. We haven't seen much document specifically detailing his involvement, but I'm confident that he was involved. You use the term to this very day, so Google is still doing something. They're not taking the ads from the Canadian drug stores anymore, right? They're definitely still running some ads from uncertified pharmacies. I've just been making screenshots preparing to write an article critiquing that ongoing practice. Okay, so it's one hand and the other hand not talking, or what? It seems Google isn't as diligent as they could be in making sure that each and every ad promoting unlicensed pharmacies is, in fact, removed. They remove some, but at the same time, more sneak in, and they haven't been as diligent as they'd need to be in order to block them all. This is not one trick pony for Google, though. Accepting ads from pharmaceutical stores, services, whatever, is just one aspect of the things they've done. Now, what else has Google done in terms of ads? I mean, are they running outright deceptive ads? Not just ads from places that shouldn't be advertising, but places where the product and or service is not as depicted. Absolutely. Uh, They have quite a few of those ads, and they span the substantive gamut. If you search for mortgage refinancing or Obama loan modification, if you search for work at home job or free ringtones or even download Skype, you'd be surprised at the ads that you get. And many of them are not giving you what they claim to be. Now, when someone advertises at Google, do they have to show they have a better business bureau rating or some kind of record of authenticity. If someone complains, someone writes to Google and says, you know, I went to this place, I didn't get the products I was offered, would Google stop carrying the ads? So to your first question, no, no certification is required to buy ads from Google. And to your second question, when consumers complain, Google sometimes stops running the ads and sometimes doesn't. I've submitted complaints that Google has responded to, and I've submitted other complaints that Google has ignored. Ouch. Okay, so what kind of other scams do we see? And parenthetically, there are all these companies that promise if you pay them a fee, they will improve your listing and or ranking in the Google search engine. Now, are they colluding with Google here or are they independent companies trying to make a few bucks? They're independent companies. I don't know any evidence suggesting that they're in partnership with Google or colluding with Google. Um, But you should be concerned about whether they actually can deliver what they promise. You pay them up front. You hope they're going to deliver the results. And what if they don't? Will you get your money back? Maybe you'll then be out two different ways. You'll have unfavorable information about you in Google. And furthermore, you won't have the money that you just paid. So in that sense, and I don't know whether you've investigated that, do these companies at all deliver what they promise? Can it be done? The reputation modification type companies, some do, some don't. I'm thinking more about increasing search ranking than making bad news become good news. Right. You know, certainly it's possible to make a site rank more highly through tactics both legitimate and illegitimate. Some of the companies that promise to do that use better tactics than others. It's hard to tell from the outset whether any given company is going to be successful or not. Even a high-quality ethical company might try its best and ultimately fail. 
Uh, so there's plenty to be worried about there. Okay, so let's just look at other tactics. Is it all the fake advertising that Google is pulling, just not paying attention, just willing to take money from any company, any advertiser, so long as they can afford it? Well, it might be more than just not paying attention. Not paying attention suggests that the only thing Google did wrong was look the other way. But we know sometimes Google does more than that. For example, there was a website that specialized in copyright infringement, in making copies of music and videos without permission from or license from the underlying rights holders. Google extended them a line of credit, loaning them money to buy advertising. Google also gave them tips on what keywords to use, helped them modify their ad campaigns. We know all of this because the founders of the site admitted it in a deposition. Google isn't supposed to be out there helping sites that infringe copyrights. That's the kind of thing that could make them liable for the copyright infringement. There are doctrines of contributory and vicarious copyright infringement, basically helping those guys uh, with their copyright right infringing website, and that's not what Google is supposed to be doing. Okay, so how far can Google go legally in terms of posting links to copyrighted information? Posting links is one thing. Ordinary search results, Google probably can get away with ordinary search results, but once they start charging for the listings, charging for the ads, and especially when they provide affirmative support, loaning money, suggesting keywords, suggesting other optimization strategies, they could in fact face legal liability for that. And it's a wonder they've managed to avoid that liability up to this point. The kind of companies that have engaged in this infringement, are these music download services or what? That's right. Okay. Uh, they were services sure. exactly of that sort. In theory, the music industry could go after Google, who would probably want to license that music for some kind of services in connection with what they do. They could go after Google and say, we're suing you too. That's certainly possible. Of course, Viacom did sue Google as to the various YouTube practices that are of considerable concern to rights holders. All kinds of music and video on YouTube that's there, even though the rights holders never authorized it to be there. And that's all well and good for consumers, but from the perspective of the companies who paid to create that media content, they were expecting to be paid for it. They don't love it when consumers get it for free, and they especially don't love it when Google builds a business on the backs of helping consumers get that stuff for free. Okay, look at YouTube just briefly. I guess that's one of the more successful acquisitions of Google, although I wonder how they're making money from it. Just targeted ads? There are ads on YouTube, quite a few ads on YouTube. Sure. YouTube also is the only site of its kind. If you want to watch a large number of user-generated videos like that, user-uploaded videos, where else are you going to go but YouTube? Well, Google can use that dominance to leverage its position into other markets. If you want to have a mobile phone that can watch videos, it better be able to watch YouTube videos. And so if Sprint is thinking about a phone that doesn't have any Google software at all, what will they put for videos? In that way, Google can get its software onto the phone and start to demand preferred terms from Sprint and so forth for the other phone carriers too. So it has great strategic significance. With YouTube, they have a monopoly. They don't with search engines. You could put Bing on there. You could put Yahoo, which is powered by Bing. But still, what about the Google search engine? Are they doing things unfairly to force people to carry that? I'm not just saying running the Android operating system. We'll get into more of that in a moment. Ben Edelman joins us on Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. 
nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space, and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world, a woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Ready to save? Then you're ready for the Super Summer Sale at Herbal Healer Academy. Herbal Healer has been the leader in quality natural supplements for 23 years. Log on to HerbalHealer.com and take advantage of Herbal Healer Academy's incredible savings on 500 parts per million colloidal silver. The best pharmaceutical grade available at all sizes on sale. Super Male Plex with Uhimbi and Super Femplex for summer toning. Buy Glucosamine Chondroitin 60 caps, summer sale priced at only $12. Colon Enhancer 250 caps, summer sale priced at just $18. And if your brain's a little foggy, we have a great supplement on sale called Memory Power. Log on and hit the postcard specials link for more super summer savings at HerbalHealer.com. As always, new customers get a free catalog with first order. Herbal Healer Academy, healing the world with nature one person at a time. If you owe the IRS money you can't pay, then listen carefully because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem guaranteed. He's helped thousands of people and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Did you know nuclear radiation is still spewing out of the melted-down reactors in Fukushima, Japan, and making its way across the entire U.S. continent, contaminating the air, water, and food? Dangerously high levels of radiation are a reality here. As a result, radiation poisoning is a distinct possibility for anyone living in the U.S., unless you do something to protect yourself. How? With Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Without a doubt, Liquid Zeolite is by far the best product to remove radiation from your body. It safely removes toxins and heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee, but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite by calling 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. Or go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com. 
Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Ben Edelman talking about Google and what appears to be the violation of the motto, do no evil. Okay, so does Google force people to carry their search engine? Right, that's exactly the way they can use YouTube strategically. Google could say to a phone carrier, you don't have to do business with us. In fact, you don't have to put Google Search or YouTube on the phone. But if you want YouTube, you must put Google Search. You can't only have Bing. You'll have to put Google Search. In fact, Google Search exclusively. No Bing at all if you want YouTube. YouTube is just that good. They've said things like this, I hear from my industry sources, and that's very troubling. It means that even when Bing is good enough to get a deal with the phone company, Google can still steal that deal right back. Now, we know that Verizon did get Bing on some of the Android smartphones to add insult to injury. How'd that turn out? Now, consumers are willing to accept Bing on the phone. It's not that every consumer loves it, but some consumers will change it if they don't like it very much, and some consumers actually like it just fine. But once Google starts this tying strategy where, for example, they use YouTube to leverage uh, their Google search offering, suddenly the stakes are raised that much higher for Verizon or anyone else who was considering not putting Google search on the phone. Now, when Microsoft supposedly did illegal things in the 1990s, the Department of Justice went after them. I kind of think, though, that the European Union hit Microsoft a lot harder. Microsoft could have been ordered to be broken up. They tried to do that and then abandoned that maneuver. Why aren't the regulatory authorities going after Google? Well, they are. The European Union has been investigating Google on a variety of antitrust concerns uh, for some months now, dating back, actually, uh, to 2010. In the United States, there have been multiple state attorney general investigations. The attorney general of Texas has been active, Connecticut, others also looking at it. And on a federal level, too, the FTC and the Department of Justice both involved on various matters pertaining to Google. All right. Any of these probes look like they're going to coalesce into some kind of action? Or is it one of those things that just goes on and on and there's never a resolution? I think you'll be hearing from these regulators before long. Europeans have had eight plus months, maybe 10 plus months by this point, uh, and we'll be hearing from them what they think Google did wrong and how they'd like to see it resolved. The federal regulators have only started uh, a notch more recently, a few months ago, and so you'd want to give them a few more months at the very least in order to get to the point of making a public statement or perhaps announcing a full-on, for example, litigation effort. The tying in, running the illegal ads, what else is Google doing? Well, there have been persistent complaints about Google putting its own services at the top of search results. Sure enough, if you search for Boston Chinese restaurant, you will get Google Maps links at the top. You won't get Yahoo Maps. You won't get Bing Maps. Always Google Maps. Maybe that's expected. You're at Google. On the other hand, it does seem like quite a remarkable benefit for Google's Maps service. Everyone else has to fight to get users, and Google can just send users right on in, which can be problematic for any competitor trying to get a foothold. Basically, anything that Google could provide listings for, they could be abusive about it. Right. They could always create their own offering in that space and then use vertical integration to favor their own offering. 
Hmm. Sounds like a lot of companies these days. What about this story that came out some months back? Maybe it's even a year or two now. It just seems nearer than that. That they had hundreds of vans around the world sniffing Wi-Fi networks. What was that all about? Yes. Well, Google was taking pictures in all directions from hundreds of vehicles, as you say. And while they were taking pictures, they were also running a Wi-Fi antenna, which was collecting information about who was saying what over the Wi-Fi network in those areas at those times. Now, Google offered various innocent explanations for why this was occurring. They said they wanted to know which Wi-Fi base stations were where so that later they could help you using your smartphone to figure out where you're located. If I'm near the base station with such and such a serial number, then I must be in Kansas City in this neighborhood because that's where Google saw that base station. That's all well and good, but Google was actually collecting much more data than just the serial numbers. Google was collecting full data payloads. That is everything you happened to be sending from your laptop to the Internet or receiving from the Internet. At that time, when the Google car drove by, Google recorded it to hard drives and kept it. Very troubling. Are there any sort of laws about invasion of privacy here or not? There are laws. This could be a violation of the Wiretapping Act and otherwise. Google has been forcefully opposing those uh, lawsuits that have been filed, and there haven't yet been any uh, resolutions of those matters. So this is still a possibility. But isn't it strange, though, that every time you catch them, they say, oh, we didn't mean to do that. Sorry about that, folks. They write these things off to mistakes repeatedly, and they have explanations of how it happened. They said it was one engineer, no one else tested his code, no one looked at it, and so it just happened. They hadn't realized that this code was being used that way. On one hand, it's completely believable that they could make such a mistake. You know, everyone's in a hurry. They're just trying to get these new features ready as quickly as possible. On the other hand, they are the richest tech company in the world. They serve 10-course lunches or whatever it might be. Surely they could have another engineer looking over the first guy's shoulder to make sure that his code doesn't have this kind of problem. Now, how focused is Google? Is it so many arms, hands, and feet that one department doesn't know what the other is doing? There certainly can be some of that. Okay. So in a situation like this, though... How do we fix Google? Do we wait for the various regulatory authorities to do some kind of act on this, to act on these offenses? Do we consider the situation with the Canadian pharmacies just one of many that will come? How do we get Google's act together other than not to use their services? Well, for an ordinary consumer, the easiest thing to do is just as you suggest, don't use Google services if you're concerned about these or related problems. As a policy matter, I do think regulatory intervention will be necessary. These problems aren't going to fix themselves in short order. If a regulator wants to see them fixed, the regulator is going to have to step up and do some work. And the question is here, with so many things on a regulatory agency's plate, Is Google important? Why should anyone care about what Google does? As you say, you don't have to use their services. You don't have to use Gmail. You don't have to use Google Search. You don't have to use Google Maps. You don't have to buy an Android phone. Consumers can avoid many of Google's services. Advertisers cannot so readily avoid Google's services. If you think about the problem of 
almost anyone selling online. You know, Zappos selling shoes online. Could Zappos really be the excellent, top-quality, full-line shoe store that they have made themselves out to be without buying ads from Google? It just doesn't ring true. They've got to be there. They have to buy from Google. Google is a must-buy. And so Google can write its own ticket, set its own terms, and compel an advertiser like that to do business with them. It's kind of like the number one newspaper in a large city. If you want to reach your people, the population that will buy your product or service, you have to advertise in that newspaper, whether you agree with their political philosophy or not. Yep. Okay. Now, how did you first get interested in Google? This will be one of our final questions. Well, I've been following advertising problems for some years. I've been concerned about advertisers being overcharged. I've been concerned about consumers seeing ads that are deceptive or harmful or otherwise not quite right. As Google grew, my focus grew with Google. Initially, I was actually much more concerned about some things that were going wrong at Yahoo, where advertisers risked charges that were really much too high through various schemes that I uncovered. But Google got to be much bigger. Google's where the money is. Google's where the action is. And hence my focus there. What do you do going forward? Just keep watching Google? That's the plan. We'll see what they do, and I will be right behind them. All right. Ben Edelman is an assistant professor at Harvard Business School. Is there any place we can find more of the things you write about? BenEdelman.org is the place to go. Okay, so you have your articles and all your links over there. Sure do. And when might we hear another article from you about this subject? Oh, perhaps next week or the week after I'll have some more on these deceptive pharmacy ads that, as I say, are still running. From Google. Ben Edelman, thank you for joining us this week on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks, Gene. SellYourMac.com purchases used Apple computers, iPhones, iPads, and iPods through a safe, no-hassle transaction. They're a BBB-accredited business with an A-plus rating. You can rest assured you'll get paid for your expensive devices. They're in this business because they love Apple products. They want you to have the latest and greatest Apple gear available. Selling your used Mac, iPhone, or iPad will greatly reduce the cost of a new purchase. Get a free quote now from SellYourMac.com. Hi, this is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. Most importantly, we care about you. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com, radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Namecheap or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash Namecheap. See you online. You know that drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health. And most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of most alkaline minerals available. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins and acid, helping you to regain your energy and health. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body to rid itself of acidic waste. 
waste, increases oxygen, and raises the pH of your body to optimal levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop! Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA, but Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars, and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. Positive results from satisfied customers of Heart and Body Extract continue to pour into our website, hbextract.com. This is Al from New Jersey. One day I saw your ad for Heart and Body Extract, and it mentioned that it would help me with angina, so I decided to order. I figure I had nothing to lose. Heart and Body Extract supplies your body with everything it needs to balance itself and maintain optimal heart and circulatory health with no negative side effects. I took the formula three times a day as directed, and I kid you not, within four days, my angina pain was completely gone. Order HB Extract by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. I could not believe it actually stopped the pain. Heart and Body Extract actually works. This is just an amazing product. Even the numbness in my hands is completely gone. Heart and Body Extract for a long and healthy life. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Kirk McElhern, author and raconteur, reporting to us from his palatial shack in the French Alps. One day he will say he will never come on the show again because I rag him about that. Because I'm jealous. Love to be able to travel to France or maybe to Spain to visit my son. He only gets back home once a year for about three or four weeks, so we'd like to do that kind of world traveling, but not yet. Maybe we'll wait till the flying saucers land and E.T. can give us a free ride, assuming they'll let us leave. You know, we hear about those stories. Anyway, the last time we had Kirk on the show, he was talking about problems with his iMac after installing Mac OS X Lion But you also had other problems with the iMac that we'll go into parenthetically, but maybe bring our listeners up to date. 
Yeah. Um, hi, Gene. You again, huh? Um, I've got a sad iMac. And, and, well, the sadness started with Lion. Uh, I bought this iMac early June, and everything worked fine. And then when Lion came along, um, playing videos was pretty much fatal to the computer. Um, very often, in most cases, the computer would just freeze up. And it would require a forced restart. You press and hold the power button for a few seconds to do that. And so this went on for a few weeks that uh, I had some contacts with Apple support technicians and sent them data. They had me send logs and all sorts of stuff. It went on for a few weeks. And finally, when the 10.7.1 update came out, it fixed the problem. Um, an awful lot of people had this problem. There's a huge forum thread on Apple's forums, like 80 pages long or something. And it seems to fix the problem for everyone. So, you know, this was a problem that was annoying for a few weeks. It really didn't annoy me that much because I don't really look at videos that much on my iMac. And I've got another computer. But a lot of people were irate about it. Oh, I spent $3,000 on this iMac and I can't even watch a YouTube video. I hate to say it. Why are you spending 3000 bucks just to watch YouTube videos? I mean, you know, come on, Gene, you're supposed to say something witty there. Well, I just don't know about people, but, you know, YouTube videos are low-resolution things, and you can see them just fine on an iPhone or an iPad, so who cares? But, you know, what can you and, say? And this was happening with other videos. It wasn't only YouTube. It wasn't just sure. Flash. Um, this was happening in videos without, in iTunes and QuickTime Player and things like sure. that. But it's been solved. It caused a little bit of um, anger among some people, and... Apple did what they should have done. I kind of I felt that, you know, this was a complicated problem and they had to deal with it and it took a certain amount of time. And personally, it didn't really bother me that much, as I said. But um, you see, the, something about it also concerned me here because the 10.7.1 release notes mention nothing about this problem, whereas there's a firmware update for some iMacs that does but address not for mine. Oh, okay. Not for mine. I don't know which models that was actually for. It might have been for ones with a different graphics card. Okay. Um, but I went to check and, and see uh, if it was available for me, and it wasn't. So I'm not sure exactly what computers that was for. Okay, so the big point here, though, is that we have this fix that Apple didn't acknowledge that they did right. to 10.7.1, yeah, but they, they didn't say they, anything about it. They didn't list it in the release notes. As far well, as we're concerned, no. out of sight, out of mind. No, they did say something about um, cases where watching videos in Safari could lead to a freeze. Ah. But they didn't go far enough to say watching any video in any program on your Mac could lead to a freeze, uh -huh. which is basically what was happening. Well, they're calling the system unresponsive. Is that the same as a crash, the kind of crash you had? Yeah, that's the technical term for the computer freezes as opposed to a kernel panic where you get that dialogue on the screen saying you have to restart your Mac. Okay. So and Yeah, it's exactly what they said. But what they didn't say is that this was affecting any video in any application, um, any format, whether it be an M4V or a Flash or an AVI or whatever. Um, well, it so might be here that the activity caused WebKit to display something, and WebKit operates... Not just in Safari, but in other products from Apple. Right, but WebKit doesn't get used in like QuickTime Player or VLC um, to play videos. So if it wasn't a WebKit issue. Well, it was a suggestion anyway. <laughs> it's okay. All right, well, I'm just thinking why Apple would restrict it to Safari when it happened elsewhere. But then maybe the people who 
write these release notes are somehow disconnected from the people who actually do the updates. Regardless, that problem is fixed, but your iMac still has a problem. My iMac is still sad. In fact, it went out for repairs and came back. Um, what happened was about, I'm trying to remember exactly when, three or four weeks ago, uh, one afternoon I was converting some videos. And it was a Saturday afternoon, and I was doing a bunch of stuff, and I'd start ripping a DVD with handbrake. You know, it'd take an hour and a half or whatever, and I'd let it sit and go do something else. And after a little while, there started coming a smell of smoke out of the iMac. Um, and I looked at the temperatures, and it didn't seem like overly hot or anything. And this went away after a couple of days, and then it came back again another time that I was using the computer, you know, so using the processor a lot. And then it went away, and then it came back, and I finally realized, well, something's definitely wrong here. So um, I called Apple support, and they were naturally concerned, as they, you know, which is normal when something might be burning. Um, so they... They had me send the computer to a, a local repair center. Um, the guy at the repair center is very nice, and in fact, he's someone who once came here to fix a Mac Pro of mine like five years ago. Um, and we discussed it, and he said, look, I can't find anything. But then he found a piece of scotch tape touching the processor on the logic board. Apparently, there's a thin wire that was connected from um, a heat sensor on the processor to the motherboard that was held down with a piece of tape, and the tape was touching the processor. Now, the processor can get very, very hot, and the glue or the tape could burn. So he thought that that was it. I got the computer back on Friday, and then on Tuesday, I was doing a video chat with a friend of mine via iChat. Now, if you've ever done a video chat with iChat or Skype, it uses a lot of processor power. And after about 15 minutes, I started smelling the smoke again. Um, so I called Apple support and got a, a, a very nice person who put me up to level two support right away because it was well beyond their competence. And I got a guy, spent a half an hour on the phone with him. We talked about a whole lot of different things, you know, ideas. And he actually, I, I told him the program that I use, which is called iStat Menus, which allows me to see temperatures. And he went and downloaded the free version to compare it with his iMac. Um, and so that my temperatures were hugely much higher than his. So he thinks that there might be something wrong with one of the heat sensors that means that basically the fans aren't going on correctly. Um, that I, I was seeing temperatures as high as I'm in centigrade here. Um, the back of the machine is what's called the secondary heat sink, the aluminum back, and the temperature was 85 degrees centigrade. Now, five-ninths of 140 plus two, whatever, um, I think that comes out to 180 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, it was burning when I touched it. Okay, now, when you get iStat, it will give you a display of the temperatures at various points on your computer. So, for yeah, example, right now, I'm looking at an iMac, 2009 version, the power supply is listed as 164 degrees Fahrenheit. But that's about as high as it gets. Then right. usually it cools down. All the other parts are less than 140. The ambient temperature in this office is 76 degrees. Okay. So I, I guess I'm okay. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to switch it right away into Fahrenheit, that sort of system that makes less sense there. Um, well, it makes less sense to people outside the U.S., so what can I tell you? Okay, so right now, and, and I'm not in a, in a period where I'm using the computer a lot. My secondary heat sink, that's the back of the, the computer, is 129 degrees. What's yours? Okay, so we're going to look here and see if we can compare apples to apples. 
I have a CPU, a GPU heat sink, okay? I have a GPU heat sink at 142 degrees. Is that what you have? Um, you might have something different because yours is, a, is an older iMac. My yes. GPU heat sink is 106. Yours is how much? Right now, the GPU heat sink is 142. The CPU is 140. So everything there pretty, is 140. I, it's pretty hot, pretty but it's hot. not unusual. It's the way it's always worked. Huh. And okay. if you feel the back of it, the top portion of it, it feels warm, but not exceedingly hot to the touch. Okay, so when my secondary heat sink, so this is the aluminum back of the computer, uh, I've just got a converter widget out here. When it was 85 degrees Celsius, that's 185 Fahrenheit. That is hot. Yeah. Um, my power supply was 75 Celsius. That's 167 Fahrenheit. Okay. Those are the highest numbers, those two, the heat sinks and the power supply. Okay. Well, my power supply had gone up to like 165. Now it's down to 162. So I assume the cooling fan is activated or enhanced, and therefore it is improving matters. You know what? So I'm do you see? Oh, hold on. Do you, do you see fan speeds now? Do I see fan speeds? Yes, I do. We'll get into my fan versus your fan. And an electric fan and a fan of the Beatles or whatever. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're back with Kirk McElhern, author and commentator. We were talking about the problems on his 2011 27-inch iMac, about the fact that there was first this freeze when viewing videos cured by Mac OS 10.7.1 or OS 10.7.1, and then this peculiar odor of burning. Supposedly, his computer gets a little bit too hot, and that's not good. No, so we were comparing temperatures. I have a 2009 iMac, 27-inch iMac. We were comparing temperatures, CPU fans, etc. The hard drive is spinning at 1,548 RPM. The CPU fan is 937. Does that help you at all? Um the, the base speed is, is just around 940 for the CPU, and that's what mine is. Um, however, how fast did you say the hard drive was? 1550 RPM, if that means yeah, anything. Yeah, fine. When I had these temperatures I mentioned before, so the 185 for the heat sink. You know, we're not going to get too deep and dirty into this, but you were about to. What it seems to me is that the fans aren't kicking in and letting the Mac get too hot. Now, 
why it smells like something's burning. It could just be a wire that's touching something, or it could be the power supply, because, you know, the way power supplies work, if they get overheated, you, you probably notice it sometimes with transformers that you've got connected to devices. Sometimes you'll get a little smell when it overheats. Um, um, so I think it's probably something to do with the fan not kicking in correctly. In fact, the technician yesterday, he, he had had a, uh, a customer who had a problem, um, he thinks that it might have some, there's a sensor, there's a heat sensor behind the screen, and he's seen a problem with this with certain iMacs, and he thinks that what might be happening is that if the heat sensor behind the screen isn't working, um, the fans just aren't noticing that, that the temperature is higher, and they're not kicking in, so the temperatures get even higher. So I suppose they could just replace the power supply and be done with it? No, actually, it sounds like they'd have to replace the screen. Because the heat sensor is in the screen, ah. this particular heat sensor. Doesn't that sound to me like at this point this just replace the computer and be done with it? Well, that's what I said on the phone. I said, look, if, if after this time it's not fixed, um, we're going to have to talk about replacing it. And said, by all means, you know, we're going to find a solution for it. They're, they're really good when you buy Apple Care, um, which I do for all my Macs. Um, I think you definitely get better treatment than if you're just under your standard 12-month guarantee. I'll give you an um, example I, of this, too. Little, I have very little doubt that they will replace it if it comes back and the problem hasn't been resolved. Now, my son has had issues with his black MacBook from 2008. We had the three-year warranty that expired, what, late spring? He had had almost everything replaced on right. that computer, except for the screen. So the screen went about six or eight weeks after the warranty expired. But once Apple support looked over the service history, they said, no problem, we'll fix the screen. So basically, he has a new computer in an old case. Ah, okay. <laughs> One way or the other, they were very good about it. So yeah. Apple tends to rate the highest in that kind of support. And maybe because the problems that Apple has to solve are far fewer than on the Windows platform. Well, on the Windows platform, they have to deal with hardware made by all these different companies. Uh, just look at the number of possible video cards, hard disks, you know, every other type of element that you could have. Um, over the years, there have been times when I've had problems with multiple Macs in the same period. And these, the, the ones with the most problem with the, were the early iMacs, the sort of, you know, the plastic roundish ones. Um, I had some problems with my MacBook Pro, and since then I haven't had many problems at all. But now, iMacs have always had problems with power supplies. That's yeah, been one of the big one. I, The only power supply I had that burnt out was an LC475. Okay. This, this goes back. There um, was an extended warranty on an iMac G5 series mm-hmm. where they would replace the power supply in the event that something went wrong within what? three, four years after the warranty expired. You have to check on Apple's site for this. So there have been issues, and part of it is sticking all that stuff in a very compact case. So obviously all the controls have to be very tight. And if something goes wrong even slightly, it could cause havoc. So something in your iMac could be misbehaving in a very, very minor way, but that's sufficient. If it's something to do with the heat sensors, it doesn't need to do much um, it just if the heat sensors don't work, it's simple. The fans aren't going to go on. Right. And again, the fan speeds that I was seeing weren't really fast. And, and the, the tech support guy I was talking to um, was looking at his, which I think is the same model as you have. He right. said it was a previous model. And he was saying that his fans were much faster, even with lower temperatures. 
So it could simply be that the fans aren't going on correctly, um, the computer's overheating, and whatever's overheating is cooking. Long so, and short of it is, you're returning that iMac to Apple for another go-round. No, well, not to Apple, directly to a repair company that's going to sure. send it back, and they're going to truck it over, and you know they'll look at it. Um, but the, the, the support technician did say that he was going to put all this information into the file um, with the numbers that he saw. I sent him the screenshot that I had taken of my iStat menu um, temperatures. He took one that he was putting in as well. So I think, you know, this time it's going to be treated a little differently, and particularly because he mentioned the screen. And I don't, when I talked to the guy who did the actual repair, I don't think he actually looked at the screen. I think he was looking at all of the other parts, you know, that's the, the hard drive and the CPU and the, the logic board and the video card. I don't think he was looking at the screen so much. Well, it's always what you didn't look at. And you can't it's look at everything. Yes. I, I don't think normally, though, when they look at parts, they look at probabilities. We know that 90% of the time it's this part, 80% exactly. it's this part. Yeah. Sure. I'm sure. So you have and a rare in particular, one. If, if it's a problem they haven't seen before, then they don't know, necessarily know where to look. And I'm not faulting anyone. Um, I think Apple's been very good about this. It's annoying that I didn't have my iMac for a week, and it's going to be another you know, few days that I won't have it um, this time around. Um, but again, while I can – as you know, I can be a curmudgeon, and I can complain about a lot of things. But Apple's support and service has always been very good, and they've always been, you know, they've always done the necessary to get things fixed. I've really, really never been disappointed, whether it be, you know, a computer or even a, a separate, you know, a small device or whatever. So I, I'm not worried. It's an annoyance. Um, it, it's the cost of doing business in a way. You know, there's just a certain percentage of electronic devices that you own that are going to go bad. Well, I know that. The last thing that failed for me was the power supply on my Panasonic TV set. It failed a couple of months out of warranty, so they wanted something like $550 to fix it. Wow. Okay, so the end result was I complained to Panasonic a couple of times, and they charged me like $150 or $180. So they kind of ate, what, 60% of the cost. So there you go. I think they should have basically given it to me for free, but, you know... Where there you go. You have to do what you have to do. It was certainly a lot cheaper than buying a brand new set. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so there you go with that. Now, the other issue, which we'll just mention briefly here and then in the next segment, you're also concerned whether 27 inches on your computer screen is a little too big for your needs. Yeah, I, I had a sort of a revelation when I got the iMac back from repairs. Um, I'd been working on my 13-inch MacBook. Uh, sorry, I'd been working on my 13-inch MacBook Air for a week. Um, I have this really nice stand, um, aluminum stand from a company called Rain Design, uh, that raises the screen just to the right level. And I hooked up a wired keyboard and used a, a Magic Trackpad, and it was really comfortable, even if it was a little cramped when I was really needed to have two windows open. Um, you know, I'm writing something and I'm checking the web, so I'm pressing command tab a lot. And I got the 27 inch back and it just seemed so big. And it made me think, do I really want to have this huge thing in front of me on my desk all the time? And I haven't, I don't have an answer yet, but it did make me reflect that here I am looking at my desk. I mean, as we record this, I'm sitting in front of my computer and it takes up a lot of space. And when I had the, the MacBook Air there, it doesn't take up a lot of space. There's more freedom around it. And, and I had this sort of existential feeling that 
you know, maybe the screen is too big. Too big, huh? Well, you know, 27 inches. That's a lot of inches. You know what it is? I started out with a 13-inch display or a 14-inch Apple display, which today would be like 12 inches because they changed the way they measure displays. But I'll get into more of that in a moment. But first, friends, I want to let you know, if you have a comment or a question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please write us, news at technightowl.com. Once again, that's news at technightowl.com. We do want to hear from you. We have Kirk McElhern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. This is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. Most importantly, we care about you. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com, radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Namecheap or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash Namecheap. See you online. Devin Think is a reliable information organizer, smart document manager, productivity tool, and more all in one. Devin Agent is your smart research assistant, personalized search assistant, search engine, and web browser all in one for the real answers when you search. Order these apps today. Use the coupon code TNO11, that's TNO11, for 15% off all there at devintechnologies.com. That's devintechnologies.com. Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. For the realist, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30% while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should, too. Find out what they know. Call us and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Local Army-Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military-issue supplies. They're right here online at MainMilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, Military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. Quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits. Magnesium fire starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches. First aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bail, and a huge molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783, 207-989-6783, or visit MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E, Military.com, the main name in military supply. 
What nutrition are you missing that's leading to the four major diseases? Cancer, arthritis, heart disease, and Parkinson's. There are at least 80,000 medical studies that show a lack of the protein glutathione to be linked to cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, macular degeneration, lung disease, digestive diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, ALS, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. In all, at least 68 diseases. What is the number one food by which your body is most empowered to increase its glutathione production? It is undamaged whey protein from grass-fed cows. One World Whey is truly the first undamaged whey protein powder on the market. All other whey proteins are damaged by heat, chemicals, and filtration. One World Whey is now the standard by which all other whey protein powders can be measured. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y.com. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightall.com. That's news at technightall.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightall.com slash radio. That's technightall.com slash radio. Or check us out at iTunes. What's the largest screen for you, regardless of whether you have a Mac or a PC, notebook, or desktop? I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. We have Kirk McElhern, author and raconteur. So you look at a 27-inch iMac, it's kind of big for you. Now, when I had my first Mac at home, because I'd worked on Macs at the office, the 12, 13-inch color screen, the Apple color monitor, too small for me. I was doing a lot of desktop publishing, and it was constricting. But I couldn't afford a 20-inch display. Finally, I got a 20-inch display. Before I had my 27-inch iMac, I had a 30-inch display, but because the aspect ratio was different, a lot of the differences made the change minuscule to me. It's the same number of pixels between the old 30-inch and the new 27. Exactly. I can't imagine working on a smaller screen. I have a 17-inch MacBook Pro. I work with that because it has a very high pixel density. I'm not losing much desktop space. Right. When I try to work on my son's 13-inch MacBook, I can't do it. That's me. There you go. Well, 13 inches is a little bit small. Now, I had a 24-inch Apple Cinema display. This was last year. Um, Apple loaned me some hardware for a series of articles I was writing. And they loaned me a Mac Mini server on a 24-inch display. And this was the first time that I've been able to use one of Apple's more recent displays. I had an older 20-inch that I bought used. And I was just amazed by the quality of it. And I was going to buy one, but then I figured, well, they've got this 24 and they've got the 30, but the 30 is really expensive. And I just put it off a while, and then they came out with a new 27 at what's not really affordable price, but, you know, much cheaper. And I bought that, and it was, like, really good. And then I sold that and my Mac Mini to buy the iMac in June. And now the way I'm looking at it, I would almost wish I could go back to that 24-inch that it takes up a lot less space, but it's still big enough for me to have two windows open side by side, which is what's really useful for me. Often I'm writing in one window and looking at web pages in another, and and they don't make the 24 anymore. They only make the 27. The iMac only comes in, what, 21 and a half and 27? Right. 
so they've they're taking out that well they've taken out that intermediate size, and I would almost want to go back to that 24 inch to have a little bit less of a mass on my desk. You know the light, um, the heat. You know screen gives off heat. Um, the the sort of imposing size of it means that it's what I see. It takes up most of my field of vision, and it seems to be in some ways slightly oppressing. Now, if I did page layout for a living, if I did video editing for a living. It'd be a no-brainer. You want the biggest screen possible. But it's not what I do. I do text mostly. Um, It's just, it seems like overkill. The way the industry is running, more and more people are buying notebook computers. I guess a sweet spot is 13 inches for a lot of people. Well, 13 inches is usable, and I have a MacBook Air, and I was working on it for a week, and I use it for a number of things. Um, It's usable because the pixel density is such that you can get a, a fair amount of stuff on it. My son has a MacBook, a 15-inch MacBook Pro that we bought when he went off to university two years ago. It's got the same pixel size as my 13-inch MacBook Air. So it's basically the density. Um, it's as if you took the 15-inch screen with the same number of pixels and you shrunk it. The long and short of it is simple. Go look at the display size of the notebook or the screen that comes with your computer, like an iMac, and see what you like. If you like it larger, get larger. If you like it smaller, get smaller. Never the twain shall meet. Let me ask you one other issue before we let you go today. And that is Steve Jobs steps down as CEO of Apple, but he's still chairman of the board. So why do we treat this as a eulogy? Oh, this is a tough question. And you know, once he announced this, everyone, every blog and website and everyone was talking about it. And in in my opinion, first of all, in my opinion, um, this is the best managed succession that is possible for Apple to do. Having the health problems that he has, I'm not going to speculate. Uh, some websites have said he only has days to live. The, the, no one knows anything about that. If he were, God forbid, to pass away while CEO of Apple, that would be a huge shock to the market. Um, it would be a huge shock to, to customers. I think they organized this extremely well. He, he knew he couldn't work, but he still is going to be involved as long as he can. Chairman of the board isn't a, a, a task that requires him to be present on a daily basis. Um, I would think even if he wasn't chairman of the board, he'd still be in touch with everyone uh, by email, by video, by telephone or whatever. A eulogy because everyone's preparing for him to go away, to pass away. And hey, we're all going to go. It's inevitable. But it looks like he's going to go sooner. And and I think I was kind of surprised to see all these, you know, I remember when I met Steve Jobs, because we're going to see the same thing the day he does pass away. What happened here is, of course, as you know, ladies and gentlemen, news organizations, online, print, whatever, they will write in their spare time obituaries for famous people. Sure. They're ready to go. So as soon as like, for example, the Lieber installer, Lieber died, the famous songwriter, famous lyricist who created all those great rock and roll songs, Jerry Lieber. Yeah. He dies. The obituary is out in two seconds. So they have Steve Jobs' obituary. It's written. It's ready. Probably by the day they heard of him suffering from pancreatic cancer, his first sick leave, they had it ready. It, I, and these things are regularly updated. Sure. Of course it is. But the key is here is that right now, according to published reports, he worked a full day at Apple before making this announcement. It's also possible he's going to spend more time building the iStarship, the big new Apple campus. So he's not going to spend as much time. Also, the CEO job is not just planning products and strategy. There's a lot of stuff there. 
to deal with day-to-day concerns of a company, freed of that in shaky health, he can be more effective to Apple as chairman of the board because he doesn't have to worry about anything but the overall, the big picture. Right. Yeah, I think he's going to be involved in, in, in strategy and product planning as long as he can. I don't think he's giving up anything um, you know, more than what needs to be given up. If he can't handle the, the job that he's got to do, remember, he doesn't own this company. The shareholders own the company. And it's the, 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 it's, it's the highest market capitalization of any company right now. And, and this is an extremely important position. Um, so I think it makes a lot of sense what he's doing. As to whether he's going to do a lot more now, as you say, you know, he doesn't have to do the day-to-day stuff. I get he's been on leave for a while. He hasn't been doing the day-to-day stuff for a while anyway, so I don't think that's it. Well, whatever he's, he's done for the past eight months, all they did was make it official. Yeah, that's a, the best way to look at it, I think, is they simply uh, officialized what had been a sort of de facto situation. Exactly. And we and, all hope that Steve Jobs will be around for another 20 years and that Tim Cook will get his wish. Possible. Tim Cook's wish that he would meet a Steve Jobs in his 70s still working at Apple with the gray hair, what's left of it. Kirk McElhern, where do we find more of what you do? you got to go to my website, McElhern.com. Um, or you can check out some of the stuff that I do on Macworld, which is pretty regular. So you can find my Twitter feed, um, at McElhern, and you can follow me and see all the wonderfully interesting things I have to say. More wonderfully interesting things always. Thank you, Kirk McElhern, for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. I'm glad to be here again, Gene. Coming up next on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll hear from John Martellero of the Mac Observer. Now, John worked at Apple once upon a time, so he'll have some interesting insights on Steve Jobs. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity, 
authenticity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Did you know nuclear radiation is still spewing out of the melted-down reactors in Fukushima, Japan, and making its way across the entire U.S. continent, contaminating the air, water, and food? Dangerously high levels of radiation are a reality here. As a result, radiation poisoning is a distinct possibility for anyone living in the U.S., unless you do something to protect yourself. How? With Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Without a doubt, Liquid Zeolite is by far the best product to remove radiation from your body. It safely removes toxins. Toxins and heavy metals boosts energy levels and promotes a strong immune system. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee, but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite by calling 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. Or go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. John Martellaro of the Mac Observer once worked at Apple. So we're going to have some interesting insights today, maybe a few about Steve Jobs at his peak. And maybe he's still at his peak. We hope so. John, what role did you play at Apple? I started off as a science and technology marketing manager. Back in 2000, the product marketing group under Phil Schiller still didn't have its head around Mac OS X as a Unix operating system. And so the sales group, um, under the gun for sales, realized that they better get started uh, doing some serious marketing of this new OS. So they formed their own marketing group, much to Phil's irritation. <laughs> and they hired a few of us in to, uh, to do marketing. We had a, uh, a fellow who was into uh, um, uh, medicine. And then we had a woman who was into uh, biology, and then I carried in the, the physics section. 
we uh, really went after the scientific community to to get excited about Mac OS X. Okay, so that's one of the things that was always advertised about Mac OS X. It's a Unix-based operating system. The scientific community uses Unix tailor-made. Yeah, yeah. It was the first successful commercial implementation of a great GUI on top of a Unix operating system. People tried the Unix community with CD, which was really pretty poor. Uh, and then the Linux community with GNOME and KDE, um, really not great stuff, uh, at least in my mind. Well, these days, Linux is really useful in embedded operating systems. Mobile phones, of course, set-top boxes, TV sets, very popular. It's also the basis for the Android OS. But as a desktop operating system, no. It's also very popular on web servers. Again, as a desktop operating system, even today, in 2011, nobody has been able to find a way. And part of it is that these Unix-based operating systems are all open source. You have no straight-ahead focus, no single focus to produce a single product like a Mac or Windows. So you have this scattered layout, this fragmentation, and it makes it all the more difficult to gain acceptance for consumers. Exactly. Exactly. You need the vision of Steve Jobs. You need the team that he put together. Uh, the people like uh, Bertrand Soleil and other people from Next who had a really sound understanding of Unix and a really great vision for how to bring it to the consumer. Okay. And the one thing, of course, is to hide the Unix stuff from the regular user. You don't see that unless you want to, unless you go in terminal. I know in early days of Mac OS X, you had a problem. Apple would even say, let's go to the terminal and do this, that, and the other thing. But as Mac OS X or OS X matured, we didn't visit terminal except if we were power users. Today, Lion, we hide stuff that used to be available. Lion is designed to shield you as much as possible, or at least more than previously. All right, Steve Jobs at Apple. Did you ever meet him? Uh, I have never uh, talked to him face-to-face and uh, shook hands. I've uh, been in the same room with him several times in meetings, doing presentations and participating in customer uh, presentations. There was a time I was in the same room with him during uh, the time when, when the, the business uh, sales, enterprise sales people had a meeting every year in November, and uh, we all got together in the same room, and uh, Steve uh, talked to us. That wasn't a pleasant experience. Tell me about that. I understand Steve could use words that we can't allow on family well, radio. It wasn't so much that. Steve has a strong sense of aesthetics that if a product is well designed and you can relate to it on the right level, it sells itself. That conflicted with the realities of going up against Microsoft in the enterprise. You could talk to a IT manager in a major research lab or a company all day long about how wonderful Macintosh is and how cool and intuitive and it just works and it's secure, but it didn't check the boxes. It didn't meet the, the needs of the enterprise. And so there was that, that conflict there. Steve had a certain skepticism about the utility of a field sales group. And, and when you did run up against this this brick wall of the enterprise and Microsoft, 
it could be construed that you just simply weren't as charismatic a salesman as you needed to be. One of the fellows in the meeting asked Steve boldly if we could get some air cover in terms of commercials on television because we felt that IT managers could be could be influenced by the popular culture of, of television and, and well-done commercials to, to get businessmen to understand the advantages of the Macintosh. Apple and Steve hadn't quite figured out a really great way to sell Mac OS X on television. It was a real problem. It was, this was in the early days, about 2001. We had a really tough time convincing IT managers and, and businessmen that, that Mac OS was really great and secure and great for the desktop. So Steve, who believes that products should sell themselves, kind of felt like if you weren't a terrific and great and charismatic salesman, you were a failure, and it was our responsibility to do that job. And so uh, not having any good ideas about how to do Mac OS X commercials on television, this was long before the PC versus Mac commercials back in 2001, uh, the company really didn't have a good feel for how to advertise on TV. And so uh, the field sales team and, and marketing people had to do that. So Steve's reaction was, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just fire all you guys right now. And uh, I'll just take all the money I save from not having a field sales force and use it for TV commercials. How about if we do that? And mm-hmm. then he gives you a glare. You know, the poor fellow who brought it up kind of shrinked into his seat. You know, <laughs> why did I even bring that up? <laughs> of course, we understand Steve can do this, but did they ever do anything physically to compensate for this problem? Or did Steve just think, well, the product sells itself? Consumers will bring it to the enterprise, that's it. Well, several approaches were tried. One was to uh, really work hard on the Unix and the science community uh, to get some traction because uh, Unix is the lingua franca of scientists. And so we felt like we had a really strong card to play with uh, engineers and researchers, astronomers. Uh, Later in my Apple career, I would make a a serious pass at the astronomy community and really support them and get them wound up. We got to the point where you'd go to any AAS meeting and 90% of the astronomers would have MacBooks or, uh, in those days, PowerBooks under their arm. So basically, if you want to find ET, get a Mac. But as Apple's success uh, went into other areas with the iPod and with music and uh, with the iPad... And iPhone, the science community, has become less crucial. And I wrote an article a while back about some observations I had that, that uh, you know, that's not the only leg Apple has to stand on anymore. And uh, that's resulted in what we've seen in Lion in terms of uh, trying to, to make OS X a lot more like uh, iOS more consumer friendly, but still, but still, the Unix underpinnings and everything is still there if you know how to get to it. And some of the niceties can be turned off. You yes. don't have to launch Launchpad. If you don't want Launchpad, never use it. I never use it. It's actually there in the dock, and I haven't moved it. But you know, one day I'll just get rid of it. Mission I've been using Pathfinder for years and years, and okay. Pathfinder does everything I need it to do. But anyway, we understand Steve Jobs had a certain mindset. And you really had to sell him hard to convince him 
that he wasn't well, we had to we had to sell the uh, business and enterprise community because uh, uh, Apple had its own vision and they would move forward briskly and wouldn't uh, cater to the business community for the sake of moving ahead. And that turned out to be a great idea. I'll tell we you what, we have other great ideas. We have other great ideas with John Martellaro of the Mac Observer on the other side of the Tech Night Out Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockaway, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. We don't need to convince you that the threat of forced entry is on the rise and that your door locks are inadequate. Now you can virtually eliminate the threat of your door being kicked in with the Door Sentinel. The Door Sentinel offers standalone door kick in protection for under $67 and installs in minutes on any door. Turn your home or apartment into a fortress. Get the Door Sentinel at SentinelSecurityGroup.com or call 678 648 6757. The Door Sentinel, always on guard for you. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Meet Jerry D. Hi. Jerry and his family, like you, are very concerned about world conditions and have gathered many emergency preparedness items, including turtle tough shelters. We have added two 24-foot turtle tufts to our supplies and feel very secure knowing our large family is ready for whatever the future may bring. Turtle tough shelters are not tents. They are permanent yet portable four-season geodesic frame shelters that are as strong as a cabin at a fraction of the cost and are easy to set up, take down, and move anywhere. Available in two sizes. Get your Turtle Tough Shelter and accessories included at TurtleToughShelters.com. That's Turtle, T-U-F-F, Shelters.com. Or call 801-623-3288. That's 801-623-3288. Or see them online at TurtleToughShelters.com. Turtle Tough Shelters, your all-season home away from home. 
energy, energy, and more energy. We all need it. Get the energy you need quick through the powers of wild forest extracts. Wild chug on birch bark are the secrets of the forest used exclusively by Russian athletes. Wild chaga is the world's top source of superoxide dismutase, the critical enzyme that blocks the aging process. Chaga is good for your heart and even helps support healthy arteries. Wild birch extract is the top source of betulin, a natural sterol needed by every cell of the body. And healthy cells mean a healthy body and a more powerful you. No wonder it's known as a king of all herbs. Experience real energy and power like you've never dreamed possible. Take Chago Charge Tea with wild birch bark every day and Chaga Max capsules to get the energy you need. You deserve it. Order today by calling 877-817-9829. 877-817-9829. That's 877-817-9829. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. John Martellaro of the Mac Observer on the Tech Night Out Live with Gene Steinberg. And he was going on about some of the issues and Steve Jobs' concerns about selling to the enterprise. And you were about to finish your comment. Well, Apple would move relentlessly forward. They would strip away everything that wasn't successful. They would make radical changes. Uh, Steve started uh, square one with canceling OpenDoc, uh, dropping 64-bit carbon uh, Apple relentlessly uh, moves us into the future, and businesses don't like that. They like stability. Uh, that's why a lot of businesses are still running on Windows XP, a 10-year-old operating system. They want to know what Apple's going to do 10 years from now. Yeah, they would. Oh, that was one of the big things when I was at with Apple is that every every CIO felt entitled to an NDA briefing on what was coming next so he could plan, and it infuriated them that uh, we would not do that. Okay, so Steve Jobs would give these presentations once a year. Was it always the same way? You know, someone would request something from Apple, and he'd say, you want to keep your job shut up or something of that nature? Well, he didn't give a presentation every year. That was the first year I was at Apple. Okay. The second year, I think, 2001, when uh, he came in. I, I don't remember that he ever did it again. Okay. Did you see any other presentations from Jobs other than the public stuff we know about? Well, one of the cool things that Apple does is it has a uh, executive briefing center, not just on campus, but in other key places around the, the country, in Chicago and New York, with very, very nicely equipped, beautiful presentation rooms, state-of-the-art equipment for doing uh, customer presentations. And uh, if you are a uh, major customer of Apple, um, you'll have a sales representative and they can make arrangements for you to come into one of these briefing centers. And there's a very elaborate, wonderful process for uh, identifying the decision makers and what it is they're interested in and building a custom agenda. And when the people come in, they're given these beautiful leather notebooks and pens and uh, food is catered in and they're given a customized presentation, especially designed for their business. And I sat in on one of those uh, up to the point where uh, Steve wanted to have a huddle with just the principals of the company, and then all the rest of us uh, were invited out of the room. Uh-huh. Now, one of the 
other things is to ask here is that was there a fear of Steve Jobs at Apple? Were you afraid this guy is going to show up Sunday and just decide you don't look right, leave? Was he that temperamental? Well, he wouldn't drop in uh, unexpected um, in areas where I worked. And since I lived in Colorado and commuted all over the country in business sales and in the early days in marketing, you know, I'd, I'd do day trips. I'd get on a 8 a.m. flight uh, out of Denver, and I'd be uh, in the offices in Cupertino at 9.30 or 10 a.m., spend the day there, you know, catch a 5.30 flight home. There were occasions when I would spend a lot of time on campus, maybe a few days in a row or maybe even sometimes longer. And, um, you know, there was always that uh, interesting feeling about, you know, am I going to run across Steve? But I heard stories about, you know, people bumping into Steve and, and being not very careful about what they were going to say or what they wanted to do. And they would strike up a conversation with him just for the fun of it. And then and Steve would say something like, uh, well, what is it that you do for Apple? <laughs> and you had better have a very powerful and very crisp 15-second elevator presentation to convince him that you were very important to Apple and he would understand instantly your value to the company and why you were doing what you were doing. A lot of people didn't have that ready and would fumble a little bit and then get into trouble. So you basically had to have your spiel well rehearsed. Yeah, yeah. And as a result, you know, when you had things going on, you had meetings to attend to, you were preoccupied, you moving around campus to different places and meetings and trying to cram lunch in. You know, the last thing you want to do was, was uh, have a startling minute where you were unprepared to bump into Steve. Now, I'm sure there there are people who are much higher in the hierarchy, people like Bob Mansfield and Bertrand Soleil, who, you know, are a, a drinking buddy status with, uh, with Steve Bertrand's gone now. But uh, as a rank-and-file employee, you just, you know, you duck and cover. <laughs> okay, so what happened, ladies and gentlemen, as you mostly know, Steve Jobs took an extended sick leave earlier this year, making Tim Cook the acting CEO. The only thing that happened this past week was to change that status to now Tim Cook is the de facto CEO and Steve elevates himself to chairman of the board. But has anything changed between the beginning of the year and now except for basically recognizing a reality? I don't think anything's going to change in the short term, Steve did the smart thing in recognizing that perhaps due to health issues, he didn't have the energy to meet the standards he had for himself in in day-to-day work. Uh, I have some theories that um, I really don't want to express publicly about about what may have happened, um, uh, forcing him to work out of the house a lot. And and that kind of detaches you from day-to-day stuff. And then eventually you realize you're limited in what you can do and the meetings you can go to and the energy you can exert. So I think he, he wisely stepped aside and he took his time doing it. We were all prepared for it. If you looked at Wall Street, there was no huge shock. There was some overnight dips. There was an overnight dip uh, that day and then the stock kind of returned to normal uh, when people realized that nothing a whole lot was going to change about the company. And also realizing that Tim Cook is a really strong CEO. I don't want to ask you to reveal all your private theories, but maybe you can give us a hint at something in terms of his illness, the severity. Is that why? Well, I think the nature of his illness when you have a transplant, um, 
causes issues that uh, make you want to, you know, make sure that you stay healthy. And uh, sometimes uh, running around campus uh, and shaking hands with people and, and, and being around people who have colds, you know, is something you'd rather not do. Just a guess. It's possible the kind of treatment he's getting, whatever it is, makes you weak. It reduces the amount of time that you could put on the job. And we don't have to pretend to know what that treatment is, okay? No, we don't want to worry about that. We just know that Steve's still with us. He's chairman of the board. He still has the same values he's always had. And he's able to communicate those to the rest of the people he works with. And I understand the day before he made this decision to step down as CEO, he spent a full day working at Apple. Nothing stops him from coming in once a week, doing the rest of his work at home, but concentrating strictly on products and product strategy. All that other stuff a CEO does, he doesn't have to worry about. No, no, it isn't. And, and, and what I think is really interesting, if you have time, is uh, the situation on Tim Cook. Please. Tim Cook is not a great public speaker. He has a gravelly voice. He doesn't have the charisma that Steve had. Tim Cook is going to have to be very wise about how he positions himself as CEO. Not every CEO of a company has a public image. Sometimes they let other people uh, be the public face uh, of the company. If Tim, being a very strong-willed and powerful personality, decides that he's going to replace Steve as that public spokesman, um, I believe that would be a mistake. I, I believe there are other people... Uh, senior executives who are very charming, very well-versed on the technology, Phil Schiller, Scott Forstall, other people who are great public speakers and uh, can be the face of Apple. I always wonder in a situation like that, why can't these people, smart executives, take a few lessons? Yeah, well, why couldn't Steve come out in coat and tie when he did his presentations? <laughs> and that's not the same thing. And we're not talking about what you wear. We're talking about the ability to make a presentation. Supposedly, Steve Jobs would rehearse endlessly well, before he'd do a public session. Your strengths. Sure, uh, but you can always improve your weaknesses if you get some outside training. You have a speech coach who gets in there and shows you how to make a public presentation, maybe gives you a little bit of guidance. It doesn't mean you'll be great, but maybe, you know, if it improves everything 20, 30 percent, it's a lot better. Well, the analogy I like to give is the captain of a ship. Uh, skipper of a carrier, a submarine. He's beloved, he's aggressive, he's uh, talented, has charismatic personality, he's a great leader. And then there comes a time when he, he moves on and everybody's worried about the next skipper. Will he be the same? Will we, will we get treated as well? Will he be as effective a leader as a communicator? Can we risk our lives for this new guy? So there's always that anguish. But the you know the Navy and the Air Force... I've been doing this for a long, long time, and they, they know how to install you know, great leaders. But the new guy always needs to assess his strengths, and, and often his strengths are different. It's a different set. And the challenge of the crew, and in this case, the observers, us, and the consumers, is to understand that this new skipper is going to have a different set of strengths. And we have to realize that may manifest itself in leadership and success in the company in different ways than we expected. We have John Martellaro of the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Yeah. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. John Martellaro of the Mac Observer at MacObserver.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night All Live. We're focusing, first of all, on the reign of Steve Jobs at Apple. As chairman of the board, he's still there. He's still making decisions. He's still a decider, as they say. And we don't know how long that will continue. He may fade out someday, or maybe he will be, as Tim Cook once hoped, working at Apple well into his 70s. Time will tell. Let's move to another topic here. You had a feature over at the Mac Observer this week about Apple TV and Apple's quest to control the living room. And this is a very complicated issue, and maybe we should start focusing it on the next few segments. Okay, so... Apple TV is Apple's hobby. Why can't Apple take it beyond the status of a hobby? Well, the article was a breaking fever. Apple lies and videotape take off on a movie title. Um, it got some good attention, and it addressed uh, the problems that we all know Apple has. They don't own the delivery mechanism like Comcast does. Um, they don't create content. Uh, they're the middleman. Um, often Apple has uh, been able to eliminate the middleman like uh, bookstores and deliver music directly to our desktops Um, so Apple has some business logistics issues with breaking into this industry but it appears to be an industry that's, that's ripe for disruption the TV industry does things that greatly annoy us and create a miserable user experience. For example, uh, we're constantly being manipulated by our desire for continuity and completeness uh, in the terms of having boxed DVD sets and, and downloading a complete set of TV shows uh, for a season, and when we're missing a couple of episodes, it annoys us. So there's that human psychology of continuity and completeness, and yet the studio will will drop a, a, a show on a moment's notice if it's not doing well or put it on uh, hiatus as, as ABD, ABC did with uh, series V and then viewers drift off, they lose faith in the studio. So there's that constant feeling of, of not you know having warm, good feelings about your relationship to the, the TV studios. Let's look at this, for example. A serialized drama 
is where you find the biggest problems, like a lost, you know, where it's not just what happens that episode, but the overriding series arc, what happens from episode to episode to advance the story. So you invest yourself in that week after week, and then the network says, okay, goodbye. We're not going to have a final show. Goodbye. Now, with V, they technically had a final show, but it wasn't really a final show. It was something rushed together. Mm-hmm. They killed off some characters. They opened an entire new avenue of the alien experience, and that's the end of it. It will never be finished. This happened, by the way, with this cult favorite called Farscape. Remember Farscape? Oh, yeah, and they're doing it now with Eureka. Right. Absolutely. Now, remember Farscape. Farscape was co-produced by Jim Henson's crew. It actually had Muppets in it, but it's an adult show. I mean, with adult themes, really. You know, adult themes, romance, everything else. Really fun, genre-oriented, sci-fi, space opera kind of thing. Produced in America and in Australia. Great performances. I've gotten into it lately. So they have four years of this series. And during the four years, the sci-fi channel is handling it. And the scheduling is erratic. So you can't really figure out when the show's going to be on. Finally, after four years, they have a cliffhanger because they plan to have a year five. There was no year five. Mm-hmm. Finally, the Sci-Fi Channel relented, let them produce a miniseries to wrap up the loose ends. Now, this is the problem you have with Eureka, which is another science fiction show on Sci-Fi. It's going to end, but they're going to have a way to wrap it up. That's very important. They're going to wrap up the series. Otherwise, all the time you've invested well, getting to know the characters comes to naught. It wasn't clear that there was going to be a coherent wrap-up. Sci-Fi right. canceled the series didn't give the writers time to bring it to a coherent ending, and then they relented and said, okay, right. we'll give you one more episode. Exactly. Now, I there can't was tell scene- you how many readers, Gene, have complained to me about this behavior. And it's been going on for years, and it just, it just irritates people no end. Now, you have other examples of this. They had a TV version of the British series called Life on Mars, which is about somebody who supposedly is killed or shot and he's in a coma, and he goes back to the 1970s from the 1990s or the 2000s. And they had, I guess, a last-minute notice of cancellation, so they wrapped it up in one episode that made no sense. Like, one of the characters was someone's father. It was all a dream. They were all astronauts. And That's they right. Were in a, they were in hibernation. Yeah, which was really, <laughs> it was really kind of a dumb, cheesy, cheesy ending. You know what that's causing people to do? A lot of readers have, have told me that uh, they won't watch a series during the time it's on. They'll wait until the show is proven that it can t- continue. And then they'll buy it on DVD or they'll buy the season on iTunes. And then they'll go through it without commercials. You've gotta, you, you have to prove to the, to the consumers now that you're not just titillating them. Well, you see, it works better with a series like Law & Order. Law & Order was self-contained. There was very little carryover from episode to episode, maybe a few sidelights about characters. But you could basically run the episodes, except for two-parters, out of order, and you have a complete show. It doesn't matter if the The show suddenly ends. Yeah, they they like the shows that they can run any time because of syndication. They're looking forward to that. Exactly. They want to be able to put them on any time, anywhere, and have them stand alone. Right. As soon as you have a situation where one episode leads into another, some serialization, you know, you have to be careful about watching those shows. They do not catch on because people are always disappointed. I guess Heroes had kind of an ending. Yeah. Yeah. That show went on hiatus often and you could never (laughs) depend on it being on. We love serialization. We love stories. We love to be told stories. We love to get to know our characters 
we become we identify ourselves with heroes and there's there's no respect for uh, the viewers. So my thinking is that if Apple can figure out a way to insert itself, um, become a disruptive force, um, use their cloud to uh, provide a consistent viewing experience, bring that Apple magic to the to the to the whole TV viewing experience in ways we haven't seen before, they can be very successful. The thing I worry about, though, is how do you deal with the producers and teach them a little bit of common sense? Because right now, there are losing viewers on a lot of shows. And, for example, we have another serialized drama to an extent is True Blood, cult favorite on HBO. One hopes, being premium cable, they understand that from year to year, if they're going to have an ending, they better be sure they have a new season to follow it. And if there is not to be a new season, they wrap it up because, again, it's serialized. It goes on from episode to episode. And things that happened six episodes ago, characters will suddenly return. I think one of the things that, that Apple can do that the networks and the studios cannot and won't uh, for financial reasons is to um, have a subscription sign up. You know, have a, have a pilot episode, uh, something like... Uh, or was it, uh, um, I can't think of the science fiction series. All of a sudden it escapes me. Defying Gravity. Defying Gravity was a great little series that uh, also got into trouble, got chopped off too early. But if you were to present a pilot episode, and the pilot of Defying Gravity is awesome, and then tell your readers, because Apple has great you know communication with their with their customers and 200 million people with credit cards on file. And if you were to go out to those 200 million people and say, would you pay a dollar an episode for 10 episodes of this show? And we guarantee we'll do 10 if you'll sign up for 10 bucks, a dollar an episode. They might be able to collect 10 million people. They might be able to collect $100 million. Turn that over to Disney um, or some other studio and say, here, we're the, we're the funding agency, and this is what you'll do, and follow up on the pilot, and there won't be any of the shenanigans. Okay, you know, you're raising a whole issue here that we haven't considered, which is that Apple has to play a part in the production of TV shows in order to fix this problem, this problem of basically giving a series a week or two to resolve itself or catch an audience, otherwise it goes even if the story has not been told. John Martellaro of the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. SellYourMac.com Purchases used Apple computers, iPhones, iPads, and iPods through a safe, no-hassle transaction. They're a BBB-accredited business with an A-plus rating. You can rest assured you'll get paid for your expensive devices. They're in this business because they love Apple products. They want you to have the latest and greatest Apple gear available. Selling your used Mac, iPhone, or iPad will greatly reduce the cost of a new purchase. Get a free quote now from SellYourMac.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. 
At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Hi, Jason Lewis here. Anybody who's been listening to my program knows how shaky the U.S. economy is right now. Will we have a V-shaped recovery or will it be a W-shaped one where the nation slips back into recession? Of course, if you think that Washington can spend or inflate its way out of a downturn, you've got nothing to worry about. But as you know, I have my doubts. So let me tell you about gold. Now, as my friend Ted Anderson from Midas Resources likes to say, gold, like all commodity markets, fluctuates in price, and you could lose money. But it has never been worth zero. Give it some thought, and if you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to actually have it in your possession, call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237. The U.S. dollar was once backed by gold, but has since lost 90% of its value. And if things don't change, I'm afraid the trend will continue. Call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237 for gold and tell them Jason Lewis sent you. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop! Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA. But Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com We're focusing on Apple's quest for the living room with John Martellaro of the Mac Observer at MacObserver.com So, alright, are we talking here then, which is what I speculated in the previous segment, 
of Apple getting involved in production of TV shows? I think they can get involved in the financing of it. I don't think Apple, as a computer and consumer electronics company, would necessarily get involved in production. That's better left to other people. I think any large, powerful company that sees an opportunity can use its strengths and its power to insert themselves into a process. So basically, Apple's going to clean up this problem where a show with a lot of promise is canceled prematurely, and so, of course, the audience is cheated. We have another situation like that with a TV show called Damages, a legal drama with Glenn Close, and it was killed from cable TV, but DirecTV bought the series, the rights of the series, and produced 10 episodes strictly for DirecTV viewers. And we know that there are 10 episodes. We know it will have a beginning, a middle, and an end. We can be assured we're to see the full thing. It's not going to be pulled in the middle of the season. Right. I think I even read something about Netflix getting involved in that and, and financing some shows. Now, there's a problem with Netflix. They had an agreement with Stars, which has a lot of shows and a lot of production. That agreement is not being renewed. So all Stars content, and that's a considerable amount of content, is yes. going to be withdrawn from Netflix as of the end of February. The point is here, though, what I'm seeing here is not so much Apple helping maybe to finance these programs, but cleaning up the mess in TV that a TV network should not commit to a show if it's not going to carry it through. If you're going to take a chance on one episode and you know you need 10 to tell the story, at least do that. And if you're going to cancel it prematurely, go back to the producers and let them finish the story. Give them a contingency. Don't just cheat everybody. It's just a sign to me that they don't really understand their customers. They, of course they sit not. in their offices and don't really pay attention to uh, the, the ongoing culture. They're not plugged in the way Apple is. You know, Apple gets really plugged in and they have a feel for the, the pulse of the community and what people want. And there's that mystique. You know, we all talk about how Steve Jobs knows what we need and what we want before we even realize it. Imagine the power of that approach to television. Okay, so one role Apple could play is financing or in some kind of maybe co-production is what you'd call something like that if you're providing financing to guarantee a show. In a sense, then, aren't they in part becoming like another TV network? Well, uh, I can't say that that would be a really bad idea. You know, everything we uh, love about Apple, Apple's ability to uh, sense what we need, uh, Apple's ability to deliver uh, great products, Apple's uh, expertise at the user interface, all of those things are exactly opposed to what we get when we go into the living room. I wrote, I wrote in that article that if you go into an Apple user's den, you'll see a, perhaps an iMac, and you'll see iTunes, and everything is on the hard disk. And you go into the living room, and you'll see you know, some DVDs laying around, maybe an old VHS recorder to preserve some some favorite movies. You'll see a smattering of Blu-rays because it doesn't make sense to throw out all your DVDs and replace them. Um, you'll see a DVR um, so that you can actually record stuff, um, but it's locked up. And in most cases, you can't get it out of the uh, DVR and, and watch it on your iPad. And so there's this huge difference in the, in the vision uh, and the technology you see between a den of an Apple customer and the living room. The problem being, of course, is that your resources to watch programming, your source of programming is fragmented. As you say, 
If you got the DVD, you got the Blu-ray, maybe you still have a few of those old VHS recordings, mm -hmm. and you haven't bothered to buy Blu-ray or regular DVD versions of them. So you have multiple devices doing multiple things. The right. Apple TV is another device, though. So basically, if I want to watch a current TV show, I'm not going to buy it for $3.99 because you can't rent them anymore because that feature is gone from Apple TV. Right. So now I have the choice of buying an episode I'm going to see only once, or I go back to my cable or satellite DVR or regular set-top box. I watch that. Now I want Netflix. I click and switch to my Apple TV, exactly. or maybe my DVD player has it, or my TV set has it. So the point is we have a very fragmented environment. And I guess having shows that do not realize their potential, that are canceled prematurely, that cheat the viewers, fixing that's a good thing. And if Apple can help with that, that's a great thing. Maybe the producers will also get a sense of the public is not going to embrace a show unless you can assure them it's going to be on when the story is finished. Well, there's more than that. People are constantly trying to minimize their costs and to try sure. to have a coherent viewing experience. So can you imagine somebody who called up DirecTV and uh, canceled their uh, DirecTV service planning to rent their TV shows on their Apple TV? and then finding out the next day that renting shows is no longer available because Fox demanded it be killed, is you've got to be infuriated. You can't make decisions, optimize your environment or your finances anymore because of this flux, because of these changes and betrayals and digital technology and big things being turned on and off the flip of a switch. People don't like that either. Okay, so how does Apple help? Because right now Apple is just another set-top box. They can't replace your DVR because a DVR is free or low cost. The reason we have a DVR is so that we can skip over the commercials. See? Not just that. It's we want to watch one show and record another. We can't well, watch can the shows the that Cloud? day, so we, we want to the see Apple them Cloud the next day. We watch the show without commercials whenever we want. That's one function. We understand that you can fast forward through the commercials. With DirecTV and Dish Network, it's a 30-second button The cable providers tend to require you to manually fast-forward. Whatever. We understand that. But it's also for delayed viewing. A lot of shows now, they don't know what the full rating is until they see how many DVR viewers are out there. So, for example, I have shows that were recorded last night. I haven't had a chance to see them yet. I won't have a chance to see them till tonight or tomorrow night, but that's fine. So it gives me the flexibility of watching what I want, when I want. We understand well, that's that. that's only because these shows are put on at certain times. Sure. And then sometimes they aren't put on at the time you expect. And so you have to have a smart DVR that knows how to recognize the show. And if it's pushed back or the night changes, it knows how to look for the title. So really what the DVR is doing is helping you make up for the fact that there is so much inconsistency on the part of the, the TV network presentations. Well, they do have also on-demand for TV shows, but quite often you have to wait a week or two before they go into the on-demand queue. But what you're arguing for here is, and this is an interesting subject to discuss, is that except for news, except for sporting events that have to have a certain time, a certain timing factor, it's not necessary for Doctor Who to be on Saturday night. It could be on any night. It can be on when you want it. Then mm -hmm. every other show you watch, all you have to do is schedule it from a menu. Say, I want this show, I want this show, I want this show, 
and whenever I want to watch it, there it is. I don't care that it's supposedly scheduled at one particular night. That's old-fashioned TV. That's the 1950s, 1940s. Then oh, each TV show was an event. It's not an event now. It doesn't have to be. John Martellaro of the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with pre-pass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without pre-pass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try pre-pass free. That's 888-401-PASS. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget, CrossbreedHolsters.com. Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. 
Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg. Back with John Martellaro of the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Now Live. Do you get the point I'm making that most TV does not have to be a scheduled event? Well, I think the uh, situation is, is is a little different than you present. I think this, it's that way because the networks have been so fickle over the years that people are just tr- tired of trying to deal with appointment television. And so what they're doing is... is creating their own schedules, especially young people. No, I understand that. I agree with that. The point is here, that's what the TV networks need to do. That's what the content providers need to do. That's what cable and satellite need to do is other than events that have to be scheduled like sporting and news, other shows ought to be just available. You know, you'll have four episodes a month of this show, four episodes a month of that show, and you watch them when you want there's no schedule of broadcast. That's yesterday's news. The networks are locked into the ways of doing things. They have metrics. They have the Nielsen ratings. They have the advertisers who demand uh, a certain presence. Uh, there's uh, there's payments. There's prorated sure. allocations. What does it matter? What the value of a commercial is when it's viewed on a DVR later. There's all these complex relationships and contracts and issues that cannot result in a change of the way we do things. But ultimately, it's moving in that direction. More and more people do watch TV on a delayed basis. More and more people go to Hulu. They go to Netflix. They go to Apple, whatever. There has to be a solution. Can Apple be the provider of that solution? Well, we've seen how Stars, as you mentioned, is terminating its relationship with Netflix. Uh, We've seen how uh, Fox terminated the, uh, the TV show Rentals on Apple TV. So what Apple needs to do to stop this is to figure out how to become so insanely popular, how to become so beloved, how to create a user interface and a permanence and an intuitive feeling and an appreciation for the way they do things that they just zoom up in popularity. And as a result, uh, studios won't have the liberty anymore of turning Apple down eventually get to the point where instead of it being a financial advantage to terminate these relationships or terminate a show it'll be a grave it'd be gravely damaging to them to uh, screw over apple and its customers that's the position apple needs to get into and that's why they're still in a hobby status well the other problem is of course having all these multiple devices everything has access we have The Blu-ray player has internet access, the internet-connected TV. We have the Apple TV with not just Apple, but Netflix and YouTube, etc. 
So we have all these services. How do we unify that into a single box that does everything again? Simplicity. Well, one of the quotes from my articles is that any sufficiently complex system will result in wide variations of customer response and unpredictable behavior. So because Hollywood and the studios have created so many outlets, you've got Redbox, you've got cheap DVDs in the aisle of Walmart, you've got Blu-rays at Borders, uh, well, Barnes & Noble anyway. Um, you've got Netflix available on your Apple TV and your Blu-ray quarter. There's been so much madness and desire to tackle the customer's uh, money in any way possible that you get a complex system where people have to compromise and make decisions about what they're going to do. A rotating plastic disc is insurance policy, really. I mean, if you really love a movie and you want to be able to watch it, for sure, whenever you want to watch it, then you'll buy the, the movie on Blu-ray because we can't depend on finding it when we want. So customers are trying to juggle their money, they're trying to juggle their time, and they're trying, trying to juggle the dependencies of their equipment. So you've you got this really complex system. That's a situation that's ripe for behavior, and it's a situation that completely suppresses innovation. All right, so would Apple do better, number one, to release an Apple-connected TV that has everything on it? And maybe, you know, they work out a deal, so if you have a cable provider or a satellite provider, they could work out some kind of interface so they could work with those. They had the cable card. That didn't succeed, but supposedly they were developing two-way cable cards. So is there a way to have one TV set that does it all? Well, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the idea of Apple getting into TV, the TV business, high-definition TV sets uh, in the early days. Kind of warmed up to the idea lately. It depends on how it's done. Because there's so many different customer values and so many different reactions and so many different ways that people respond, um, I think that it, it's worth Apple's taking a shot at bringing its very best values and technology and user interface to the game and see how it goes uh, with customers. Because, as I said, people are hungry, they're frustrated, they're annoyed, or they feel like they're being nickel and dimed to death. And so it could be that uh, people would sw uh, swarm to an Apple-branded television set. Maybe Apple wouldn't have the live sports I used to think that that was really essential, but what I'm seeing is is that, from from my readers anyway, is is that there isn't this fanatic dedication to the to the live sports. Yeah, there are a lot of people, many people who you know are love their NFL and love Major League Baseball, but uh, I think there are a lot of technical readers and customers who aren't necessarily tied, uh, sitting on the edge of their chair to see uh, you know Seattle Seahawks play Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I think I wouldn't even know what they are. You know, I am not a big sports person. <laughs> so, you know, after the Brooklyn Dodgers, you know, that's it for me. I don't know yeah. who plays what, when, where, how. I don't think it's a gating factor anymore for Apple. Okay. So, all right. The other question, of course, is that we know that the flat panel TV market is saturated. They've had to cut the prices severely in order to keep going. They now have added 3D, which is of debatable benefit because there's only four movies to watch that anyone cares to ever watch in 3D. 
So after Avatar, House of Wax from 1950s, what else is there to watch in 3D? Alice in Wonderland? I don't know. So if Apple comes up with a TV, are they going to go the way of Bose? Bose has a TV set 46-inch LCD, which normally you can buy for what? $1,000? Theirs is $5,000 because it has a very sophisticated loudspeaker system embedded within the set. I'm sure it sounds great. I don't think it sounds $5,000 great. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, you know, I think it's just a concession to the consumers. I, I wrote some articles at Christmas time a few years ago about how to build a HDTV system. And it's amazing how many people think that all you need to do is go out and buy a high-definition TV for $1,000 or more, and then you send all your inputs into it, and then you listen to... Uh, Dolby Digital through two little tiny 10-watt tinny speakers. Uh, and when you try to convince somebody that what they really need to do is is bring their um, cable input into a receiver and, and, and let the receiver send the sound out to their, you know, five or six speakers and then HDMI up to the TV, their eyes glaze over. I mean, they're, they're all excited about these ads on TV where you see a uh, HDTV above the fireplace, but you never see the speakers. You never see the, the center speaker. You never see the side speakers. You never see a, a, a low-frequency effects subwoofer because it's not cool. It's cluttered. But uh, you know, if for, for not a whole lot of money, you can build a system if you just know how to connect some wires, and you can have a fabulous sound system in your house, uh, Dolby Digital 5.1 system. Um, and it isn't going to cost you $5,000 from Bose. Well, well you, you know, can, I'll tell you, you folks, can, by the way. You can spend I do have, money, Bose makes, have by the way, Bose makes a pretty decent set of home theater systems you can plug into your existing set. And if you don't want to stick the speakers in the rear, they actually have a set with two speakers plus a subwoofer that simulates the effect. Maybe you're getting 50% of the effect. It's not as good as having the six speakers, you know. It gives you 50% of the effect. Not that expensive. Sounds pretty decent. That might be enough. We have John Martellaro of the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com 
We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 877 886 3653. That's 1 877 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. OpticsPlanet.com is where discerning gun owners and outdoorsmen go to gear up. Optics Planet has the best selection of rifle scopes, red dots, night vision, holsters, bags, and tactical gear on the planet. With always low prices, free shipping on most orders, and expert customer service. Go to OpticsPlanet.com GCN to get a free gift with purchase. That's OpticsPlanet.com GCN. Or call 800-332-OPTICS. 800-332-6784. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Why is it so many people suffer from so many illnesses today? Why don't doctors know how to help you? Could it be that our doctors don't know how because there's a nutrition solution and they only know about drugs? Over 68 diseases are known to be connected to a deficiency of glutathione. The missing ingredient to increasing your body's production of glutathione is cysteine. Raising your glutathione production protects you from cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, macular degeneration, lung disease, digestive diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, ALS, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. Nature's richest source of cysteine is unheated whey. Heating can damage much of the cysteine. One World Whey is the first undamaged whey protein powder on the market. Using One World Whey may support optimal glutathione production, unlike any other food or supplement you've ever taken. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. John Martellaro of the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. We're talking about your connected living room, about the fact that when people buy their flat panel set, they don't realize they want to have a good sound system. But also, you know, part of the problem is they need to also understand, not everyone does, they have to also have high-definition content. They may have basic cable, but they do not have the high-definition option. Oh, I think those days are over. Okay. I complained a lot about that in 2007 and 2008 
Um, that was a, that was a consistent problem in the industry. People would go out and they would buy a high definition TV, and they would maintain their standard definition connection on Comcast, and they didn't understand the problem. I think that's over. Everybody understands now uh, that they have to have a high definition TV service, and uh, you know I get Direct TV, and all the channels I need are in high definition, and the same thing with Comcast. You'll see industry pundits complain about. You know how maybe AMC is not in high definition on DirecTV or something like that. But by and large, we can all get high definition now on cable or satellite. And we can we all can know how to connect our HDTV to it. So I, I don't think that's a problem anymore. There are other problems. Okay, AMC, I agree with you. BBC America, I can't watch Doctor Who in high definition on DirecTV. I can watch it with Dish Network. I can watch it on Cox in high definition DirecTV, they want more premium channels. Okay, what other issues are there? Well, I think the issue is the user interface uh, of selecting your uh, your shows. One of the reasons why I don't watch movies on DirecTV is because it just isn't a fun experience to navigate through their system. Um, when I, I have an Apple TV second generation, and when I want to watch a movie, it's it's really easy and fun to to flip through the, the listing, the, the images of the movies that are available, pick the one I want, watch a preview, rate it, and do all of those things. That, that's a really great experience. Um, you can't get that with cable and satellite. The price is about the same. Usually it's four ninety nine for right. a first-run movie just off the movie theaters in high definition. Apple TV offers it the same price. Older content, three ninety nine. New high definition movies, four ninety nine. It doesn't matter which you use, except maybe you get slightly higher quality from your cable or satellite. But if you're watching your TV set from eight or nine feet away, you don't see the difference. Apple TV is pretty good. It is. It's pretty good. I've seen. I watched uh, the King's Speech a while back. I did see some pixelation in the background. Uh, even though I've got uh, you know high speed Comcast, you know twelve megabits per second. Uh, they may not be saturating the line. Uh, I shouldn't see pixelation um, at 12. I have a suspicion that they were still delivering it at around 4 or 5, 720p, and you will see pixelation. But uh, that's why you know we buy Blu-ray discs for our favorite movies. The ones we want to see over and over again, or we rent them from Netflix. But now Netflix has this other problem where you have to wait 28 days or 30 days for a first-run movie for many of their contracts to allow for more streaming content. But now with the loss of stars, I wonder how they're going to work that out. Well, you know, we've been taught to be uh, anxious. We've been taught to uh, be greedy and we want everything right away in order to extract the maximum amount of money from us. Uh, I've seen ads on TV where you know, a company will advertise this new hot movie and they'll say, own it on Blu-ray today uh, is, is a way to panic you into uh, rushing out and, and parting with your money. Uh, one of the things I like to talk about in my columns is we have to be more relaxed. We have to sit back and say, well, I'll get to it when I get to it. You know, I'll buy the movie in a few months. Uh, there's plenty of old movies to look at. There's thousands of movies for me to pick. And, and some of the movies that came out in 2010... Um, even late 2010 now are showing up on uh, Apple TV. We watched uh, The Adjustment Bureau with Matt Damon and Emily Blunt a while back. Fun movie. 
You know, we didn't have to rush out the theater to see it the day it came out. So it pays to have a good attitude about all of this, mostly a relaxed, patient attitude. <laughs> well, The Adjustment Bureau was a pretty good movie. <clears throat> I like that. That was one of the better movies for the past year or two. I know this summer, a lot <clears throat> of the movies, a lot of movies this summer, I guess, aren't that good, you know? Now, my son and I, my son was in town from Spain, so we went to see a couple of movies. We saw Captain America, and most of it takes place in the 1940s. I'm not really giving you a spoiler here, okay? That's a fact. Most of it takes place in the 1940s, and if you accept that and accept the way they do the period stuff, it's an enjoyable movie. He didn't dig it. Cowboys and Aliens takes place, you know, in the 19th century, and some people think it's dumb, I kind of liked it, okay? Sorry about that, folks. I kind of like Cowboys and Aliens. It didn't do too well at the box office, but that's where you go. I, I know that there are a lot of commercials on TV for movies, and sometimes they're very annoying and they're brutal. Um, if you, have you ever closed your eyes during a, a preview in the theater or even uh, at home on high-def TV? got to do it sometime. It's an interesting experience. Especially the more violent horror movies and the and the uh, action movies, just close your eyes and watch the play of light across your eyes and how it interacts with sound in such a way as to agitate you and excite you. It's uh, right out of Max Headroom. Ah, yes, Matt Frewer. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. They're still using the same technique. The techniques for movie trailers today are the same as they were 10, 20 years ago. Except we don't have that great announcer who died, who said, in a world where whatever, you know, <laughs> he's no longer here. But the spirit survives. Anyway, and we're going to have to wrap it up soon, so let's just cut to the chase here. In the end, do you think Apple will, as predicted by some of the pundits and rumor sites, come out with their own full connected TV with the iOS interface in 2012? I think they will. I think they uh, have enormous opportunities to disrupt the TV industry and to delight their customers. I would hope if they did it, the price wouldn't be too high. I don't want to spend $5,000 for a TV if Apple can come out with a 50-inch plasma. And I hope it would be plasma. Rather than LCD, I prefer I'm a big plasma. fan of plasma. I have a Panasonic plasma, and sure. it is a delight. Indeed. Yes. So we would hope they would do that, and that it wouldn't cost $2,500 for a 50-inch set. Well, you know, you'd be surprised how much people are willing to pay when you give them exactly what they want and what they always needed. You'd be surprised that Apple could be onto something here. And also, Apple knows how to produce things for less money than other companies and still make a profit. You know, Absolutely. look at it is now, the new Ultrabooks from Intel trying to imitate the MacBook Air turns the meme that Apple is overpriced on its head. Nobody else can produce anything comparable in terms of hardware to a MacBook Air for the same price. How about that? $999 for an 11-inch MacBook Air and $499 for an iPad? The days of Apple being overpriced uh, in the minds of many are over, over, over. Well, at least HP can sell their remaining touchpads for $100. Think about that. They must you know, be running those plants overtime because everybody wants to get this piece of crap. And it's a piece of junk. From what I've read, you know, it takes 
a long time to boot up. It's not instantaneous. System response is slow. The OS, interesting concept, it's buggy. Where do you go? Hey, John Martellaro, tell our listeners where they can find more of all the stuff you write about. At the Mac Observer, your big source for industry Apple news, www.macobserver.com. And MacObserver.com also has stuff from our old friend Ted Landau. Bob Levitis has written there. A lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, and we check have a out. whole bunch of new editors, too. We have to get them on the show and give them their maiden voyage, as they say. Okay, you can Absolutely. find more of the stuff that I do at TechNightOwl.com. That's TechNightOwl.com. On Twitter, we are TechNightOwl. I made it simple so you can find us on Twitter. We also have forums, forum.technightowl.com. And then we have that other radio show, The Paracast, about UFOs, things that go bump in the night, things that John Martellaro, being a scientific person, probably does not believe in. But there you go. That's our other show, The Paracast at paracast.com. Special thank you to John Martellaro. Thanks, my friend, for joining us this week on The Tech Night Owl Live. It was a pleasure. Thank you. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.